I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Now, uh, I know Philippians may be a book that's kind of difficult to find, so uh, let me give you some pointers on how to locate it in your Bible. If you're in a physical Bible, what I would encourage you to do is open to the table of contents. There's no shame in it. Just go to the table of contents. When you get there, you'll notice that the Bible is actually broken up into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, Philippians is in the New Testament. It's, it's a little more than halfway through the list of the books of the Bible of the New Testament. Uh, so if look for the book of Philippians in the New Testament. If you're in an app, pull down the list of the books of the Bible and you'll find Philippians is uh, around three quarters of the way down that list. So Philippians chapter two. Now I've been here at this church for over three years now and I'm sure most of you notice that I am pretty much the humblest man I know and I'm really proud of that. Uh, I mean my humility just exudes and you may look at me and, and say, well, but Chad, you're, you're just so handsome. The chiseled physique that you have, your superior intellect, clearly I'm more holy than um, any of you watching. And so you may look at me and say, how do you achieve such great humility? Why? How? As such a superior human, how can you achieve humility? How can you be so humble? Well, luckily for you, uh, many people have asked me because I'm just such a humble man. Uh, many people have asked, and so I've actually written two books, and I'm proud to announce that there are two new books coming out that I've written. Uh, here they are. Uh, the first one is uh, Humility and How I Achieved It, and the second one is The Ten Most Humble People in the World and How I Made Them That Way. And we'll be announcing how you can get a hold of these books uh, in the near future. Uh, now, obviously, I hope that you recognize that this is complete satire. I am completely making fun of myself. I am not. I, I struggle with pride. I struggle with humility constantly. It is something that I have to keep on the forefront of my thinking and my prayer life in order to, to, to keep in check because I have a tendency as a human being, and I think we all have this tendency to some extent or in some way, we all struggle with the sin of pride. Now, now the opposite of pride, the cure for pride is humility. And last week, I, I introduced the idea that radical faith involves an upside down lifestyle. Uh, and I spoke about how the Bible calls us, commands us, to live quiet, reverent lives, minding our own business, that we're commanded to live in humility, that we are called and commanded to submit to the government to always forgive others, no matter what their sin against us or how many times they've sinned against us. The, this upside-down lifestyle commands us to love our enemies, to pray for them and to bless them. You know, these are all ideas and lifestyles that contradict our own desires where our tendencies are not to live quiet reverent lives our uh, our lives our, our tendencies our sinful desires 
tend to drive us to be boastful and proud and confident in a way that's not healthy. It drives us to be loud instead of quiet. It, it drives us to constantly complain and protest rather than to live out what the Bible commands to not grumble or complain or be disputing with others in our life. And so we're talking for the next few weeks about this idea of radical faith and living in an upside down lifestyle that Christ calls us to. And, and today we want to focus on humility, the, the idea of humility. Now, let's take a look at the passage and then I'm going to break down for us today what humility is not what it is, and then we're going to look at the example of Jesus as the, the beautiful example of what godly humility looks like. So take your Bibles or your apps, turn with me to Philippians 2, the passage that I mentioned earlier. We're going to begin in verse 1. Now, uh, let me give you some background as uh, you're turning to Philippians 2.1. Philippians is a book, it's actually a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. Now, Paul was one of the first great missionaries of the early church after Jesus had died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. Paul went through all of the Greek-speaking world at that time, the Roman Empire, and he told people about Jesus, he established churches, he led people to Christ. And in this letter, he is writing to a church in, the, in, in a city called Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. And, and through this book, he talks about many, many things. He talks about how to have joy in Christ and how that joy leads people to Jesus. He spends a lot of time at the beginning of chapter two that we're going to look at right here in a minute, uh, speaking about humility and how humility points people to Jesus. He also talks about how we should focus our thoughts uh, not on anxiety, but instead we should pray and give God our concerns and our baggage uh, and be thankful. And when we do that, Christ gives us peace. Uh, and then he goes into talking about how our minds should constantly be focused not on negative things, but on things that are of excellence and things that are noble and trustworthy and godly, and that our minds should be focused on those things and should dwell on those things. So today we're going to focus on chapter 2, where Paul focuses in on humility. So look with me now, Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Paul says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now catch this part. This is where it gets good. This is, this is the part we're focusing on. Uh, middle of verse three. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse five, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the, for was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we're talking about humility. Now, Paul gives us a beautiful definition in verses three and four. So let's read verses three and four again, because I don't want to miss what Paul has to say here. Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what is humility? Well, I think the first question is we need to ask what it is not. What, what humility is not? First off, it is not some kind of lack of confidence or destruction of potential confidence. Confidence and biblical humility have nothing to do with one another. You can be a confident person and you can have confidence and faith in Jesus and still be very humble. It is not choosing doubt. It is not living in constant doubt of who you are in Christ. That's not what humility is. It's not downplaying your abilities or your achievements. You know, when, when somebody comes up to you and tells you, hey, you did a great job the other day on this blah, 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 on this project or, or this or that, there's nothing wrong Biblically, there's nothing wrong with receiving that compliment with thankfulness. I, this is something I've struggled with. You know, people, uh, when I preach or when I uh, do a lesson, there will be people that will come up and say, thank you, pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. And there was a time, because of my misunderstanding about humility, there was a time when I would go, oh, that wasn't me, that was God. And yes, it is God, but there's no th nothing wrong with somebody complimenting you and you accepting that compliment in humility and just say, thank you. I appreciate those kind, encouraging words or something, however you would phrase that. So, so humility is not denying your abilities or achievements. It's okay to accept a compliment as long as those, uh, that view of your accomplishments uh, accomplishments and achievements and abilities, as long as that view of yourself does not get elevated too high. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Related to that idea, humility is also not being proud of someone you love. Uh, I, I've heard this discussion about parents being proud of their children. There's a difference in the definition of having pride, being a prideful person in a sinful way, and being proud of someone for who they are or what they've achieved. There's nothing wrong with the latter, with, with being proud of someone. You know, if, if someone comes up to you and compliments something that your child did, there's nothing wrong with recognizing that your child has done something great or someone you care for has done something great or has some kind of ability. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the, to accept that and to recognize the achievements and tell your children that you're proud of them, that, that's not, being, uh, not having a lack of humility. That's simply just being proud and encouraging the people around you. So be proud as long as you don't hold that pride about your children or whoever, as long as you don't hold that over someone, 
or think that your child or that person is better than someone else's child or someone else's friend or whatever. And so there's nothing wrong. Just don't let that pride, uh, that pride of someone you love, don't let that be elevated to the point that you look at other people as lesser than, this, than your child or the, that other person. Uh, lastly, and let me say this very, very, very clearly, humility is not submitting to some kind of abuse that is being inflicted on you by another person. That is not humility. There are gonna be times when we as the followers of Jesus will suffer for the name of Jesus. And there, the, we're called to that and that's a whole different discussion. But humility is not accepting or submitting to someone unbiblically abusing or hurting you. That is not humility. Whether it be physical abuse, whether it be sexual abuse, whether it be mental abuse or emotional abuse or manipulation of some kind, you are not called. Humility does not call you to submit to the abuse that someone unbiblically is imposing on you. So that is not what humility is. Please, if you are suffering from an abusive relationship, reach out. Uh, go to the phone number that's on the screen right now and I want you to reach out and get out of that abuse, get out of that manipulation, whatever it may be. Uh, so call this hotline and, and do not think that humility is submitting and allowing someone to abuse you and hurt you. That is not what humility is. The Bible never condones someone abusing us or hurting us. So please, again, call that number if, if you're in that kind of situation. So those are some examples of what humility is not, but what is humility now? Well, we've looked at what it's not, but what is it? Well, Todd Wilson, he, he's a theologian. He's the chairman of the Center for Pastor Theologians. Uh, he writes an article for the Gospel Coalition, and in that article, he makes this statement. The humble don't fret over their own prestige or position, nor that of others. In short, humility is, as Robert Roberts has observed, transcendent self-confidence, a quality of character that liberates people from having to compare themselves with others and frees them to love everyone equally. Uh, now, I know that's a, that's a pretty in-depth statement, and, and let me just kind of unpack this idea for you. Humility uh, can be thought of in many ways. One way to think of humility is lay yourself out a priority list, and on that priority list of who's more important, you would put God at the very, very top, that God is the most important being. You are not God. Part of humility is recognizing who you are in light of an almighty, all-knowing, all-wise, perfect, loving, gracious, just God. Recognizing that you are not him. That's part of humility. So go back to the priority list. God is number one. But secondly, right under God is others. The idea that you should be looking out for the concerns of others, maybe even before you're looking out for the concerns of yourself. 
Uh, Jesus said it this way. If you go into Matthew 22, Jesus is approached by a, a religious leader, a scribe. And the scribe asks him, Jesus, what's the most important uh, command in the Bible? And Jesus answers him, the first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law. In other words, all of the Old Testament. Jesus gives us the definition and practical application of humility by telling us, love God first, love others second. And then on that priority list, if you're using that as a, as a measuring scale for humility, you come last. You're always looking out for following and looking for obedience to God first and your concerns and opinions take a back seat to that. You're secondly looking out for the concerns, the needs the, to help those other people in your life, even at the risk of sacrificially giving from your own life. And so humility can be thought of as almost a priority list. Uh, you know, let me clarify and go back to an idea that we were looking at earlier. Humility is not saying that we're weak. It's just recognizing that we value God and others more. It's not being a weak or abused person. It's not letting people walk all over us. It's just saying that my priorities in life are not about me. My priorities in life are about God and others first. And so that's what humility is. Humility is recognizing and prioritizing God and others before yourself. Now, Paul gives us an amazing example of what humility looks like from Jesus himself. So go back to the passage that we were just reading, Philippians 2. And I want to go now to verse 5. Verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, now think about what he is saying here. Jesus is, was God. Jesus was and is God. He, is, uh, he has always existed. He is the second of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Now, now this is a very confusing statement here in Philippians 2. So let me, let me break this down. Re remember, if you haven't heard this before, this part of the Bible, Philippians, and all of the New Testament, this was written originally, Paul writes this letter, in the Greek language, a, 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 an ancient form of Greek. And when you read this passage in the Greek, it, it says this, Equality with God is literally something that couldn't be taken or forcefully taken or forced upon someone. In other words, Jesus recognized that in his human form, he was not called to forcefully take and impose on others his godhood, his deity. And so he was re already was God, but he let go of aspects of his godhood. You know, Jesus suffered. Je God doesn't have to suffer. God exists in a perfect existence in heaven. 
But Jesus recognized that if he was going to save all of humanity, he didn't have he didn't have to fight for his right as God, as king of kings, as king of the universe. Instead, he relinquished aspects of his deity. He held them back. He, he pulled them back so that he could do what he needed to do on the cross, which we're going to see in just a moment. Take a look now in verse 7. It says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of what? A servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, gods don't die. God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he does not have an end. He exists forever. He doesn't die. But Jesus's human form, he came in human form as a what? A servant. And through his obedience to God the Father, he was even willing for that human form, that form of a servant to die. And not just die, but die one of the most horrific deaths that man has ever invented, to die on a cross. He took the form of a servant in order to serve those he loved. And he did that at the perfect time. There's an illustration of this that uh, a theologian named Brian Chapel gives. Uh, he, he was a missionary and he, he, in his missionary work, he recognized that some, in some tribes in Africa, uh, the chief uh, was a person that was the strongest of all the people within that tribe. In some African tribes, the chief is not determined by being the son of the last chief. In many tribes, the chief is whoever is the physical, physically the strongest and can defend the tribe the best. He wears, uh, in many of these tribes, this chief would wear a large headdress and ceremonial robes to distinguish himself from among the rest of his tribe. He, he, he was visually different. He was visually more prestigious and grandeur and, and, and superior in many ways. But Chapel tells a story about uh, when he was uh, observing some of these tribes that a man of one of these tribes had fallen uh, into a well while he, while he was getting some water. And, and when he fell, he broke his leg, and so he, he didn't have the strength or the physical ability to make his way back up out of that well. And so the chief, uh, several men in the tribe, tried to figure out a way to get down into the well and carry him back out, but they all recognized that they didn't have the physical ability to do it. And so... Brian Chapel tells this story about how the chief walks to the well after being told about this man's plight, that a man is stuck in, a well, in the well, his leg is broken, he's physically unable, nobody else has the physical ability to get him out. The chief approaches the well. He removes his headdress, hands it to someone. He removes his prestigious robes and hands them to someone and takes the appearance of an ordinary member of the tribe. And he himself climbs down into the well, knowing that he is the physically, he's physically the strongest. He climbs down into the well, grabs the man, and physically carries him up out of the well, knowing that he's the one and only person within the tribe that has the ability to do this. He did 
what was necessary. He did what no other man could do within, his, within that tribe, within their existence. You see, Jesus, as the King of kings, humbled himself in obedience to God and died. And not just death. Again, he died the most horrific death that man had come up to at that point in time. He died on a cross hours and hours of horrific torture. And he did all of that so that his blood could be shed and your sins and the consequence of your sins could be saved. In other words, he did that to rescue you from your sin and the consequences of your sin. You see, the consequences of your sin, sin is all of the ways that we disobey God or we don't do the right thing. But the consequence of sin is very serious. The consequence of sin leads to eternal punishment. And Jesus came and died on that cross so that you don't have to have eternal punishment, that if you would believe in Jesus, you could have instead eternal life. You see, Jesus was and is God. And despite the fact that he was and is God, he didn't allow that status to hinder his call to pay the ultimate price for you and I. You see, just like that chief, that African chief, there's no one who could have died. It, the person who had to die for our sins had to be a perfect, sinless being without blemish. Only God can qualify for that. And so God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He, Jesus never allowed his rights as the king of the universe to override what he truly needed to do to save us. He never recognized, he never allowed his right as a king to override his love for those whom were below him. He's God, and so we are below him. But you are not above anyone. You and I, we're all sinners in need of a savior. And you may say to yourself, but I've got my life put together I'm a good moral person. I, I've really got things. My, my life is in order. My finances are great. Whatever. You know, I'm a happy person. None of that matters at all. You have lived a life of sin, just like everybody else has. We are all sinners. And no matter how th well you think you've got your life together now, you will have, and you definitely have had, times in your life when you are a disobedient person where you did not follow God, where you did not do the right thing that you know you should have done. And so because of that, we are all on the same playing field, the same level playing field. Every person, whether the, the lowliest among us or the most prestigious among us, we are all common in that we are all sinners in need of a savior. And humility is recognizing that. That's the, that's the other aspect of, of humility and how we define it. it. You can think of it, as I said earlier, as a, a kind of thinking of the world and relationships as a priority list, but it's also recognizing that you are on an equal playing field with every human who has ever been born on the face of this planet, that you cannot achieve the rescuing from your sins 
yourself. You can't do that on your own. You have to have, you are 100% dependent on the necessary death and resurrection of Jesus to save you, to rescue you from your sins. Humility is recognizing that. It's recognizing our command, the command given to us, our call to love others, to love God and love others. It's recognizing that we're not called, we're not allowed to hold our rights or our prideful view of ourselves as a reason for not loving others. And we have to be very careful about that. Now, maybe you're listening right now and maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never come to a point where you've placed your trust in Him, your faith in Him, your belief in Him. But, but maybe you're listening today and maybe some of this is new to you. Let me say this very clearly. Jesus loves you. He loves you desperately. And he wants you to receive him, to accept the invitation that he offers to believe in him and to be saved, to be rescued from that eternal punishment and instead receive eternal life. And what does that look like? That, that looks like believing in Jesus, what the Bible says about him. It, it involves uh, committing your life to him and how he ca- calls you to live your life and placing your trust in him and telling others about him. That, that's what it involves. And, and he wants to give you that eternal life through that process. Now, Maybe you've got questions about this. Maybe you've got doubts about the truthfulness of this, or maybe you want to know more, or maybe you're ready to make a decision. Wherever you're at, please, I want you to do something right now. If you don't know Jesus, but, but you feel like maybe you've got some questions that you'd like answered, or, or you'd like to make a decision, or, or explore what a journey with Jesus looks like, I want you to respond. I want you to click on the link. Uh, it takes you, it's down at the bottom. It's in the post of this video. It's down at the bottom. It says, uh, I think it says uh, uh, online uh, connect card or it says uh, online uh, contact us uh, one way or the other it takes you to our website to the contact us page go to that link it's on your screen go to that link and, and I want you to fill out that little form that's there on our contact contact us page on our website and when we receive that form the the information from that form I'll reach out to you and I want to answer any questions that you may have about Jesus about following him about what it looks like a journey with Jesus but please reach out to us we we want you to have the opportunity to ask whatever questions you may have or be guided through the decision to follow Jesus so reach out to us through our website now it doesn't end there though. Uh, We dropped off at the end of verse 8. Now pick up with me in verse 9. Look at what happened as a result. What Paul says is the result of Jesus's willingness to come as a servant and die on a cross. Verse 9, therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was and is the Son of God. He died, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. And at 
at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow eventually. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He has been exalted. So how do we apply this to ourselves? How can we live out humility? Let me give you some quick pointers um, to, to think through about how to live out humility in your life. You know, we all suffer from pride. In one way or another, we all suffer from pride. And pride is one of the greatest sins. If you go read through the Bible, there's a common theme about how evil pride is. The cure for pride is humility. So how do we live humility out? First, I would, I would say this. Stop comparing yourself to those around you. Whether you're comparing yourself to those around you and thinking that everybody else has it together and I'm a nobody, or whether you're comparing yourself to everyone around you and you're thinking that you're better and you've got it together and, and you don't need uh, this or that. Either way, we're not called to compare ourselves to others. The second thing I would encourage you is take interest in others, especially those that you think you're better than. Uh, listen to them. Stop talking about yourself and let them talk and learn about them. Listen to their story. Listen to their struggles. Seek to understand them and their situation. Thirdly, be careful to make assumptions or judgments about someone when you don't know the details of their situation. Uh, we're so quick to dump, jump to judgment. But in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, don't judge others. And this is the, the illustration that Jesus used about uh, you know, offering to take the speck out of someone's eye when you've got a log in your own. Uh, we're not called to judge others, especially when we don't know the details of what has gotten them in the place that they're at. So, so be careful about making assumptions or judgments. Uh, fourth, seek accountability. The book of Proverbs tells us repeatedly to go and seek wise counsel. Uh, the Bible repeatedly tells us to surround ourselves by godly men and women who can help us and challenge us to grow in our faith. Uh, fifthly, actively ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the ways that you fall short of God's holiness and the ways that you struggle in your life to not be the man or woman of God that God wants you to be. So, so ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. And lastly, one of the greatest things that I can, do, I can recommend that you do in order to seek out and live out humility is intentionally serve others. Find ways to serve those around you, especially those who, who are struggling, those who uh, are fighting a, a difficult battle in their life or are struggling to make ends meet or whatever it may be. Find ways to serve those around you. So here's my concluding question. How is Jesus calling you to live out humility, that upside down life of humility that Christ calls us to? What is he calling you to do? Let's go to the Lord and let's ask him to reveal to us the ways that we need to be living humbly in our lives. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that even though you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are the creator of the universe, that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect in all your ways, that you are loving and you are just. 
Lord, despite the fact that you are all these things, we thank you that you love us so much that you are willing to give your one and only unique son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. We are grateful for that. We are grateful for what Philippians chapter two says, that Jesus humbled himself to the point of being a servant and dying on a cross for us. Even though he is the only human who has ever lived that could truly claim to be superior. Even though he is God, he was willing to suffer and die for us. Lord, help us to see the humbleness, the humility of Jesus Christ and in turn to live humility out in our own lives that in doing, the, doing so, we could love you and love others. That we could point people to the life-changing hope of Jesus by the way we live in humility. So help us to see the ways in our own lives that we're not humble, that we need to seek humility. Help us to recognize that. We thank you, Lord, and we lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.